This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Let's just pray. Father, we do bless your name. We thank you for the name of Jesus. And God, we've gathered in this name, this wonderful name. And I pray that today, uh, as we talk from your word, that it would really speak to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles uh, or your version, your devices, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and uh, those of you that are here in the building or uh, have joined us online, we would invite you just to keep your Bibles open there. And I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the title of the lesson that you found in the bulletin, uh, and I know the title of our lesson probably has some of you cat lovers on edge. You think that this will be a day for some hate speech against your precious kitties. Uh, Just relax. You know, I would never, ever do that unless the Lord directs me to. But but seriously, this lesson is not about cats, okay? I, I just had to get your attention. The lesson does involve a cat, but our topic is really on how to steer clear of fear. Now, speaking of fear, I did a little research and found that there are over 2,000 different named fears. And since I just work one day a week, I've got time to do this kind of stuff, worthless stuff. And by the way, that's a joke. And some people think I'm serious when I say that. But uh, anyway, 2,000 different named fears. You'll be thankful that I won't preach on all 2,000 of them this morning. But let me mention a few of them, and and you can find these at phobialist.com. Just a few that are in the A section. There's a fear that's called acrophobia. That's fear of heights. Anybody, uh, anybody have a fear of heights? You just do not like heights. Uh, here's another fear. It's called ilerophobia. Do you know what that is? That's a fear of cats. Um, which, by the way, if you are a cat lover, that makes you an ilerophile. Seriously, ilerophile means you love cats. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Here's another fear. Ablutophobia. You know what that is? That is fear of washing or bathing. And, and I thought about asking you to raise your hand if you have this fear, but we've already noticed if you have this fear. <laughs> Acluophobia, fear of darkness. Androphobia, fear of men. I, I'm sure a lot of you have this next fear. Arachibutyrophobia. Fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Seriously, that's a fear. Uh, Here's another one. Automysophobia, fear of being dirty. Moving out of the A's. Uh, Here's another one uh, that some of you might have. It's called glossophobia, the fear of speaking in public. And again, I thought about just asking you to stand up and tell us about your fear of speaking in public, but I won't do that. Here's another one. Homilophobia. Fear of sermons. A lot of you have that. Herophobia, fear of pastors. Faith really has that one. Here's another one. This one has 29 letters, so we're just going to put this up on the screen. And uh, this is an actual fear. You can can look it up, but if you want to go ahead and put that up on the screen, uh, there you go. Hexacosio, hexaconta, hexaphobia. You know what that is? That is fear of the number 666. 
That is a name fear. And so on the count of three, I'd like for all of you to pronounce that with me, okay? One, two, three. Hexacosio, hexaconta, hexaphobia. They're all sorts of fears. All sorts of fears. But what's interesting is they say we are born with only two fears. Any guess to what those two fears are? Not a fear of spiders and snakes. We're born with the fears of falling and loud noises. That's it. Babies don't have a fear of spiders and snakes. They would play, for them, play with them if you would let them. They're not born with a fear of darkness. They're not even born with, with herophobia, fear of pastors. They, they have two fears, fear of falling, fear of loud noises. All other fears are, listen, they're learned fears. And so what does that mean? This is very significant. That means that all of those learned fears can be unlearned. Or better yet, they can be broken by the power of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at a, at a man named Benaiah. Some pronounce his name Benaiah. Uh, Benaiah had several situations in his life that we would have called fearful situations. And, and his name you can find it 44 times in the Bible, yet as you read the Bible, you hardly even notice him. Benaiah was a general in the army of Israel. He was considered one of the top five soldiers in all of the country. And, and at that time, they had a rotation of, of generals and soldiers that were on duty. So every third month, Benaiah was in charge of overseeing 24,000 troops that took their turn protecting Israel from a foreign invasion. Benaiah was also captain of, of King David's bodyguards, which meant, meant he was in charge of finding, recruiting, training the special forces, uh, you know, the Navy SEALs, so to speak, to protect the king. Now, what did Benaiah do that would warrant our spending a Sunday morning to study his life? Let's find out. 2 Samuel chapter 23 reads like this. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. Now, Jehoiada was a priest, which made Benaiah the equivalent of a PK. You know what a PK is? We, we say, you know, a, he's a PK, a preacher's kid. And some people think they're the meanest kids in town. I don't think so, but... Anyway, a PK, but back then it wouldn't have been a preacher's kid. He would have been a priest's kid, a valiant warrior from Kabziel. He did many heroic deeds. What were some of them? Well, just two or three that it mentions, which included killing two of Moab's mightiest warriors. Another time, and this is the one we will focus on today, he chased a lion down into a pit. Then despite the snow and slippery ground, he caught the lion and killed it. Another time, armed only with a club, he killed a great Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. So, Benaiah did many heroic deeds, and, and it just mentions three of them, but, but the one that really captured my attention was that he caught a lion and killed it. Now, it didn't just say that he threw a spear at it and killed it. He caught it. He caught a lion and killed it. The dude killed a lion. He was not afraid of cats. I don't know if you've ever read the book Death in the Long Grass by Peter Hathaway Capstick. It was published in 77. Anybody ever read that, Death in the Long Grass? That, that is a fabulous read, and, it, and it's not something that is necessarily for spiritual growth, even though, you know, it is pretty exciting and might help your prayer life a little bit. It's, it's real-life drama in, in Africa, 
But uh, sometime if you want to, maybe next winter, you just want to settle down with a, with a good book, Death in the Long Grass by Peter Hathaway Capstick. But um, and of course, in that time, 77, they had firearms, and so they were a little bit safer. But our story today occurs 3,000 years ago, long before guns were invented. Killing a lion with the weapons of that day, you know the weapons of that day? A sword, a spear, or a club. That's all they had. And that would have been an extraordinary feat. Now, to complicate this situation even more was the fact that the area had just gotten a fresh snow. Now, a, a snow is not a usual occurrence in most parts of Israel. I read that in Jerusalem, and, and a few of you have been to Jerusalem, they say it snows on average about one day every three years. We don't know exactly where Benaiah fought this lion. We know he was from Kabziel, which is the southernmost part of, of Israel, and, and snow in that area would have be, been even less frequent. But, but all that this means is that Benaiah probably was not equipped for the snow. Probably didn't have good snow boots. Probably his boots didn't have Vibram soles for traction. Probably he wore sandals, open-toed, slick sandals that were typical for that day. Now, during this time period, the land of Israel was still largely unpopulated, and, and so there were wild animals, and, and, and probably jackals and foxes, and, and I even read that, uh, that they say there were feral dogs, packs of feral dogs that roamed the countryside. And then to step up the danger level, they said that from Syria, the bears and the lions had come in, and they had become a menace to the flocks, the sheep, the goats, as well as to people. And I did some research on, on the lions that would have been in that area, and, and they were more than likely Asian lions. Um, and uh, they could have topped the scales at around four to 500 pounds, that they could have had bodies measuring eight feet long, not, not counting the tail. Benaiah took the challenge of going against a man-eating lion armed only with a, a, a spear, a, a sword, or a club, and I can promise you that Benaiah, as, as he went slip sliding down into that snowy pit to meet that lion, there would not be one of us here today that would have asked to trade places with him. Because his odds of coming out of that pit alive were slim and none. Now, why was that lion in, in, in the pit in, in the first place? Well, we don't know. Some, some have suggested that, that maybe the pit was a trap. Maybe the lion had killed some of the flocks, you know, the sheep, the goats. Maybe the lion had been seen several times. Benaiah was afraid for his kid's safety. And, and so we don't know why the lion was in the pit, but basically, Benaiah said, kitty, 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 you're going down. I've, um, I, I've told you on different occasions, but um, just kind of a reminder, when we served as missionaries in another country, we had several different exotic pets. We owned, uh, we owned a badger. That was an interesting pet. A, a gray fox that was best friends with our uh, six-month-old uh, daughter, Erica. Um, good, good friends. We owned a jaguar, not a car. But a cat, Jaguar cat, it was an eight-week-old cub. His paws were already the size of my fist. And, uh, and he had a mean streak to him. And considering that full-grown Jaguars reach 300 pounds, they eat 14 pounds of meat per day, which was about what Erica weighed at that time. 
I gave the cub back to the zoo that had given it to us in the first place. And, but but the, the pet that I wanted to bring attention to was another exotic pet that uh, was an ocelot. And, and you can Google that, uh, not, not right now, but the ocelot was kind of a miniature version of a jaguar. Uh, it, it was kind of like a bobcat, but it had a long tail. We named this cat Murdoch. Uh, maybe weighed 15 pounds, 20 pounds max. And, and, and for some reason, this cat was like most cats, they're just cranky. And uh, when he was in a foul mood, he would snarl. And he wasn't a meowing cat. I mean, he was a snarling cat, a growling uh, cat. And, and, and I learned to respect him. Even though he was way less weight than I was, I practiced social distancing with him because he could hurt you. But, but imagine going into a, a pit on a snowy day with slick sandals, armed only with a spear or a sword or a club, and going up against a 400, maybe 500-pound man-eater, Beniah did this. He went head-to-head with a lion that could have ripped his head off. Now, that, that kind of provides the background for our lesson today, and I want to just kind of throw a statement out there, and then we're going to unpack it for the rest of our time this morning. Sometimes, here's the statement, sometimes the only way out of danger is through it. Sometimes the only way out of danger is through it. Paul, I don't know if you remember back a few years ago, went to, you flew me to Atlanta, and I think maybe Heidi, someone else was with us. We went to a Catalyst conference, and uh, on, on the way back, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, there were thunderstorms, and Paul would see a thunderstorm, and he'd either go above it or below it or to the left or to the right. But we, we came up against this big storm front, and Paul said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't get around it. Can't get high enough, can't get low enough, can't go left or right. We're going to have to go right through that storm. And I don't know if you remember that, Paul, but I was a little bit nervous there. And even though I'm a risk taker, and, and so we just made sure that our seatbelts were, were, were fastened, and, uh, and we headed through that storm, and, and, and there was turbulence. And uh, the only way out of that storm was to go through it. And at times it's that way in life. You, you can't always escape storms. You can't always avoid danger. You can't always live in a secure enough bubble to never get hurt. You, you can't always protect yourself on the highways. You can be a defensive driver. You can drive the speed limit, obey all of the laws, but you can't completely take away all of the dangers that are on the highways. But by the same token, you can't remove all of the dangers of health issues. You can eat right. You can exercise right. You can, uh, you can brush. You can floss. That's for you, Cammie. You, 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 you can become a, a, a vegan and, and cut out all meat and, and, and chocolate and take your vitamins. But you can't eliminate all of the risks that sometimes are genetic and follow certain families around. When it comes to criminal activity, it's the same way. You can avoid crime hotspots. You can choose to live in small communities that are relatively safe. But even in our community, here in Eldorado Springs, Cedar County, on occasion, we've had unfortunate crimes committed that resulted in injury or even death. You can't always shield your kids from every danger. You can homeschool, you can try to keep them away from bad people, you can take away uh, social media, television, but you can't 100% shield your children from every known danger. The same way with the influenza, or, or a cold, or, 
What's facing us right now, the coronavirus, COVID-19, you can social distance, you can mask up, you can glove up, you can quarantine, and you should certainly do all of those things. I recommend that you do that. And as much as possible, I try to follow all of those guidelines myself, but, but eventually, you know what? You're going to have to come out of your cave and catch some food and drag it back. You can't stay in a bubble. You know, where we lived in South America, I was almost continually exposed, almost always continually exposed to tuberculosis. There in the mining communities where it was 30 to 40 degrees outside and you shook hands with somebody that had a sweaty palm, that was a telltale sign they had tuberculosis. We learned that. I was exposed to tuberculosis, hepatitis, cholera, giardia. God had called me to minister to these precious people, and as much as I tried, and I tried to watch out, I tried to protect myself, but there was no way to completely avoid these dangers and still fulfill the calling of God on my life. Sometimes the only way out of danger is through it. Invariably, when I plan a missions trip, when we went to Israel just, what, a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was, and, uh, you know, Jim, as he was planning the the missions trip to, uh, to the border, You know the number one question we we get from you? And and it's not a bad question, but it shows how we think. You ask, will we be in any danger? And I know you can't believe this, but because I'm a smart aleck, um, I generally respond and tell you, of course we will be in danger. But probably no more danger than we would be driving in downtown St. Louis or Kansas City or maybe even Springfield. But as an American culture, we are obsessed with safety. That's why you have all of the OSHA rigs. That's why you have cars with airbags. Products that have warning labels. You know, this caused cancer in laboratory mice. You have building codes. This door needs to open this way. This door needs to open this way. That's why you have fire suppression sprinkler systems. That's why you have to have battery-powered emergency lights, and, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And, and some of these are good. I'm, I'm not necessarily against them, but, but because of our obsession to avoid danger at all cost, we forget that God said in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters. It doesn't say when you go around it. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Sometimes the only way out of danger is through it. And please hear me out. I don't believe God wants us to be reckless and careless and stupid. But when God is directing us, sometimes you have to just fasten your seatbelt and in the name of the Lord, go through the danger. You go through the water. You go through the fire. And trust the God who said, I will be with you. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul asking, okay, we're, we're going to go to Ephesus to share Christ, but I need to know, will I be in any danger? <laughs> Wherever God called him, he went. And Benaiah knew what needed to be, be done. And, 
and yes, it took courage to get so close to that lion that you could smell his foul breath. And, and he was that close because the Bible says he caught it. He smelled his breath. And it didn't necessarily seem to be a smart thing to do. I mean, normal people do not chase down lions in a snowy pit with a club. But remember last week I said God has never operated by what is normal. We walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith is not normal. And again, that's why with God's help, I I don't want this church to be a normal church. Normal churches, normal people don't inspire. Normal churches don't change the world. Normal churches just want to keep the status quo and do what you've always done so you can get what you've always gotten. Normal churches just want to blend in. Normal churches just try to not make waves. I don't want to be a normal church. I don't want you to be normal people. And I don't want to be a normal pastor. And I know you can make all kinds of jokes about that. But you know what I mean. So Benaiah went into that pit on a snowy day. He had one goal in mind. His goal was to take out the enemy. Take out the lion. And he was committed. He was all in. Spiritually for us to defeat our enemy. And who's our enemy? Satan. What is our enemy? Sin. So the who is Satan. The what is sin. But we must be all in to defeat Satan and sin. A half-hearted effort won't be successful. Listen to this verse that you probably have heard before. Our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Sin and Satan must be crucified, conquered. Benaiah was focused on killing the lion, not taming it, not rehabilitating it not subduing it. We must never come to the point to where we think we can just kind of tame or subdue or coexist with sin and Satan. They must be conquered. They must be crucified. I know that um, killing snakes is against the law in Missouri. And uh, as a whole, I'm not a snake killer. I, I saw a beautiful five-foot black snake. Can I say a beautiful snake? No, <laughs> but I saw a beautiful five-foot black snake a few days out of my a few days ago at my farm, and and I was following him around not to kill him. Um, I was trying to get a good picture of him. He was beautiful, and and I know most of you say that the only good snake is a dead snake, but that's not true. And um, and again, you know, Missouri says you don't kill a snake, and if you find a snake in your yard, just gently pick it up, take it to your neighbor's yard, and. You know, just get it out of your yard, but don't kill a snake. But, but the late billionaire and former politician, uh, I'm sure, uh, Rick, you, you remember his name, uh, Ross Perot. Remember that little whiny voice that he used to have? And, and he said something that was so profound. He said, when you run into a snake, you don't appoint a committee on snakes. You kill the snake. And that's what we must do with sin. Don't mess with it. 
Don't compromise with it. Don't try to coexist with it. Don't, don't try to tame it, control it. You conquer it. So maybe the question we need to ask today is, what lion do you need to conquer? Maybe the lion you need to conquer is in the area of pornography or drugs. Maybe smoking or, or drinking. Maybe it's that you haven't trusted God with your finances. And, and, and I've said this many times that I believe 90% of your check with God's blessings will go a lot better than 100% of your check without God's blessings. Doesn't make sense on paper, but God's economy doesn't make sense on paper either. Maybe you need to conquer your fear of telling one of your relatives about Jesus. Maybe you need to conquer the extreme paranoia that you have of the coronavirus. And this doesn't mean you need to let down your guard or that you will be any less careful. No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, even after things have loosened up, I, I still... I still try to mask up when I go into a store as, as much as I'm able. I, I try to social distance and don't let down your guard. But, but on the other hand, you know, some people have allowed themselves to become slaves to fear, consumed with fear. They live with the paranoia. Being careful is wise. It, it's, I believe, being godly. It's being a good neighbor. It's loving your neighbor. Remember, it's not about you. It's about the other guy. So being careful is wise, but being paranoid, I believe, borders on sin. Because God said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if there's a spirit of fear, that's not from God. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that some healthy fear is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. There, there needs to be healthy fear. There needs to be some respect. But being consumed with fear doesn't come from God. Remember, God at times will lead us through places that are dangerous and uncomfortable. He'll lead us through the waters, through the rivers, through the fire. And if God calls us to it, He will call us through it. And instead of looking at all the things that might happen, we need to instead look at God. And I think too many of us are looking at the lions instead of looking at God. And we look at the lions, and the lions look big and bad. But when we get our eyes on God, the, the lions get smaller and smaller and smaller because God is so much bigger. Daniel from the Old Testament understood this. And you know the story. King Darius was tricked into issuing the decree, decree that said anyone who prays will have to be thrown into the lion's den. And, but Daniel kept on praying. And, and so <clears throat> Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And, and that gave him an opportunity to see who was bigger, the king of the universe or the king of the jungle. And, and you remember the story how the king of the universe won. And, and in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, Daniel said, my God, and that's so powerful, I could preach an entire message, my God, this was a personal God, my God, sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. My God, a personal God. So, some people only know about God in the following context, well, the man upstairs, or, or the higher power, or the, the man in charge. Daniel didn't refer to God in a generic way. He said, my God. He had a personal relationship with God. My God. 
can you say that? Or, or do you kind of refer to him as a generic God? You know, my God that I pray to, my God that speaks to me, my God that I'm in communion with. So, if you have an addiction, look past the addiction and say, my God is my deliverer. When you're weak, say, my God is my strength. When you're struggling for direction, my God is my guide. When you're alone, my God is my friend. My God is my shield. My God is my redeemer. He's my righteousness. He's my rock. When you look to your personal God, God becomes bigger and the lion becomes smaller. You know, if I were to ask uh, those of you that are here this morning or those of you that are listening online, um, what do you want in your life a year from now? Most of the answers would probably have a common thread. We would want to increase personal security and decrease risk. Increase security, decrease risk. But faith often causes us to do the opposite. Benaiah, by chasing the lion, decreased his security and increased his risk. Some years ago, I, 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 I mentioned this story here, but it just fits so well. When I graduated from college, I was offered a job managing a car leasing agency in Kansas City. And maybe that was prophetic because... You know, another car dealer in, in the church here, when you've got so many here, but the, the company was not a large company. We had approximately 100 lease cars. Well, along the way, shortly after that, I took on the position that, that they actually moved into the same location there, uh, which is being the manager of a quick loop place. And so pretty much fresh out of college, I was running two different businesses, and, and this was really a great position for a recent grad. It was, it was really, really good money, and well, along came someone that offered me a job selling insurance. Frankly, that selling insurance wasn't on my list of top 100 jobs that I wanted. I would have probably wanted to do anything else that, rather than sell insurance. But, but this man kept telling me how much money I could make, and, and I listened to him. And after a few months of this, praying about it, I did something that uh, seemed crazy at the time. Uh, I quit my good pain managerial jobs, secure jobs, and accepted a position that was based strictly on commission. So when I did that, I increased my risk. I decreased my security. But let me tell you what that led to. That, that was the beginning of a journey that I've been on for over 35 years now. And, you know, first of all, this new job based only on commission led to my making more money in six months than I would have made in a full year at the other managerial positions. But, but that's not the point I want to make. It's not about the money. That, that's, that's the least important part. But, but through the process, and, and it took me about 20 years to recognize this, but I now see that God was doing something bigger in my life. He was prepping me for another risky assignment. This insurance job that increased my risk, decreased my security, was God stretching me. And building my faith. Because a little over a year after I accepted this insurance job, God began stirring within me again. And this time it was to leave this insurance job, very good paying insurance job. And Faith had just graduated uh, from nursing school with her Bachelor of Science in Nursing. And, 
and uh, she had a good job, and so we were, it was referred to at that time, we were dinks, double income, no kids. But God was stirring within us to go serve as missionaries in South America. And this was a move that would take us about 6,000 miles away to a very backward and primitive setting. And it would bring about about an 80% pay cut. Again, it's not about the money. But when we left the U.S. of A. in January of 1984, that move, again, increased our risk, decreased our security. But the trade-off was so amazing. God, God gave us such a fulfilling ministry in Bolivia. And, and yes, in Bolivia, I got tuberculosis. And yes, I got hepatitis. And yes, I got typhoid. And, and uh, lived with all kinds of stuff. But honestly, we thought we would be there until we retired because we loved serving the Bolivian people. We loved the people. We loved the geography. We loved the food. Well, after eight and a half years, God began stirring within us. And this is where you come into it as a church. You called us to be your pastors. And this was a difficult decision for us because we loved what we were doing. No issues. We loved what we were doing. But after prayer and fasting, we accepted this position and, and, and became your pastors, which incidentally, I had publicly said that I never wanted to pastor a church. Never say never. God was stretching us again. And, and I've only mentioned this one other time back some years ago and Mentioned it in the early service as well. I've only mentioned it because uh, another time because of for fear of being misunderstood. But but I want you to hear me. This church has always been generous to us. You you take better care of us than we deserve, and and I truly mean that. But when we took the church, the church finances were so tight. There was indebtedness. Sometimes I had to wait until after a Sunday offering to get paid. And initially, whenever the board, the church board told us what our salary would be, we, we kind of gulped. Again, it's not about the money. But when we looked at the buying power of what we were given here versus the buying power of a country where the cost of living, when, living was significantly less by accepting the church, we were again taking another pay cut. Now, over the years, you've been more than generous, and you, you treat us, again, far better than what we deserve. We don't deserve you. You take such good care of us. But, but the reason I'm sharing this with you is because 35 years later, after I crawled out of the driver's seat and let God be the pilot, I, I, I look around, and what God has done, it scares me to think what might have happened had we been content to play it safe and just stay at my job where I manage two companies. It scares me to think where I might be today. And what do you think might have happened had Benaiah not taken a risk to go after that lion? Well, that lion could have possibly killed more of their livestock. Who knows, might have even killed Benaiah's children playing on the mountainside. But Benaiah, who no doubt had some healthy fear of that lion, yet the God that called him to it, called him through it. As we wrap this up, uh, don't let fear scare you away from doing what God has called you to do. 
if Jesus has called you to it, he will call you through it. So, make the call. You know, for those that, you know, here or maybe watching online or listening on the radio, maybe you need to call the rehab center this week. Or maybe you need to call the person that you're at odds with, you know. You've been avoiding each other for a long time. Why don't you just make the call? Maybe you need to take steps to break that cycle of lust within you. You can't seem to break away on your own, and maybe you need some outside help. You know, if you're living with extreme fear and paranoia because of the madness of the virus in our world, do everything to protect yourself, but don't be a slave to fear. And don't give up your calling from God just because of fear. You know, again, if God has called you to it, He will call you through it. But most of all, would you decide once and for all that when it comes to God, you're all in? You know, I believe that if God would have a message, if He could just come down to us and say today, I think one of the primary messages would be, be all in. Don't try to coexist with sin and Satan, conquer sin, conquer your enemy, be all in. Half-hearted, the half-hearted approach to serving God doesn't work. You want to know the recipe, the formula for being miserable? Try to be a half-hearted Christian. You will be so miserable. That's why in the book of Revelation, what does it say? I'd like for you to be hot. But if you're not going to be hot, why don't you be cold? Just don't try to be lukewarm because that's going to be so frustrating. And so I think we've got a lot of people today, they're trying to do it half-heartedly. And you're going to be so frustrated in your walk with God. So be all in. Be all in. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this kind of isolated story that maybe we haven't paid much attention to, but Lord, thank you for the lesson that we can learn from just a couple of verses here. God, the who is Satan, the what is sin, and I pray that we would defeat Satan and sin. Lord, that we would be all in. Don't don't let us be half-hearted because if Benaiah would have been half-hearted as he went after that lion, he would have been torn apart. And God, in our life today, if we're half-hearted about serving you, God, we're going to be torn apart by Satan. Because Lord, the breastplate of righteousness and all of the armor of God that you put in place for us so that we can be in battle, Father, we're not going to be protected if we're not all in. And so I pray that we would just make a decision today to be all in. And God, for our fears that, Lord, today we're, we're all consumed with fear, it seems like, of what might happen and, Lord, what might happen to our family, our, our health, our job. Lord, uh, I just pray that you would give us peace. And God, as you call us to it, we believe you're going to call us through it. So, Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this week, that we would be able to steer clear of fear and 
through this little simple story, God, that we would receive courage and that we would not be so paranoid. And God, that as we go through it, we would just know that you will be with us. Thank you, Father, for walking through us. We love you and we bless your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.